Uh, as Pastor Mike mentioned earlier, as you have known and been preparing for Sunday school, our morning Bible study starts back in person next week. And as he mentioned, I just want to underscore, uh, if you have questions about that, your Sunday school teachers are well informed. Get in touch with them, and we'll try to help you in the church office if we need to as well. But we're back in action in Sunday school next Sunday morning. Also, I just want to remind you of the 2021 challenges, 2021 challenges on our website uh, now reading the 21 chapters. So if you're in that 21 chapters challenge, you should be in the book of Philippians now. Uh, we did switch. If you're dedicated to it, you'll notice that we switched Philippians with Malachi. But, uh, you know, I just did that to see if anybody would notice. No, I, I did it for different reasons. But anyway, uh, go online, download that Bible study, go along with your reading, and join us as we as a church together grow in God's Word and uh, read the book of Philippians together. Memorial Day is such a, for many folks, an emotional time. It's a powerful time as we remember those who have sacrificed for our country, even the, the greatest sacrifice, often giving their lives for our freedoms to give us the opportunity to do what we're doing today and to preserve these freedoms for us. So we, we collectively thank them and their families who sacrificed so much. Uh, veterans in person and, and online, your family sacrifice as well as you do for your service to our country. We thank you for that as well. Uh, the video we watched earlier referenced their courage. Uh, and sometimes we forget uh, courage is not an emotion. Courage is a choice. Bravery is the choice to move forward even though sometimes our feelings tell us not to. Because the very foundation of our nation and of the success of our military and our heroes in uniform, uh, whether in law enforcement or in the military, the foundation of that is they understand there are truths greater than their feelings, truths outside of themselves. And they adhere to those truths, one of them, one of them which is sometimes you must choose to be brave. Uh, and another one is that self-sacrifice is a higher value than selfishness. And these are things that we would agree to as well, sometimes never wondering why we agree to those. We just say, yes, that's true, without realizing again that often that, that, or, or noting that they are truths outside of us. These are facts that we believe that are not based on our feelings, that, that they're just facts. Yet we live in a time in which people are, are loudly shouting that your feelings matter more than the facts, that your Feelings, your preferences, and your opinions are your truth, and that's your truth for you, and whatever your truth is for you, that's what matters most. We're in a series where we are looking at Satan and his lies to us. We learned in the first installment of this message series that Jesus himself refers to Satan as the father of lies and says there is no truth in him. Satan's character, his motivation, his only thing to do is to lie. He has no, no way he can tell the truth, so he lies. And when we distinguish how our culture thinks of truth as opposed to what the Bible teaches about truth, we see clearly that he is the one cultivating the lie that your feelings and your emotions and your preferences and opinions are the same thing as truth, and they're not. But that's what captivates our culture. But, our, but people in our culture, us included, that doesn't mean, even if we buy into that, 
that our feelings are the same thing as truth, that that's truth to us. It doesn't mean, though, that we're not still pursuing absolute truth. Deep in our heart of hearts, we need God's truth. We need objective truth outside of us, not just our feelings, because we know our feelings are unreliable. Well, you can't count on your feelings to be the truth. Even though the culture says you can, you know in your heart of hearts you need truth outside of you. You need that truth. Uh, and this is rampant in our culture. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Lee Stein is an author and writer. Uh, has written four novels, a very popular author, especially among millennial women. And she's a, a millennial young lady herself that writes for that audience. At one time, she had a private Facebook group with 40,000 millennial women as part of that private Facebook group just to talk about their feelings and talk about writing and talk about whatever they came in there to talk about. Uh, so she's very popular with that generation. And she re recently, this couple months ago, wrote uh, an opinion piece for the New York Times which she talked about the shift in our culture away from tele-evangelists to insta-evangelists, Instagram religious teachers, and how spirituality has taken over much of what we see on social media, especially Instagram. She calls them quasi-spiritual influencers of women today, especially millennials. She says their online followers range anywhere from 900,000 to 7.5 million, which is the uh, Instagram account of Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress, who is, falls into this bracket of quasi-spiritual influencers. She calls them also neo-religious leaders of our era. And she talks in the, in the column, she talks about uh, how many millennials now call themselves nuns, that is, they have no religious affiliation, and yet they are passionately pursuing religious answers. Uh, she uses herself an example as well. But this is what she says. I want to read you a little bit about what she wrote in this column uh, about the insta-evangelist, the spirituality happening in social media. She said, The new belief system is a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy, intersectional feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. She said, Left-wing secular millennials may follow politics devoutly, but the women we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions, listen, that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. For example, why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? That's what she says. She says, role models my age who are not only righteous crusaders, but also humble and merciful, and that I'm not finding them where I live, there's a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what these influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in all the wrong places. Listen, she says, maybe we should actually do something like church. I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager, but the pandemic has cracked open inside of me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. I have an overdraft on my outrage account. I want moral authority from someone who isn't pitching a memoir or calling out her enemies on social media for clout, end quote. People yearn for answers outside of themselves. 
Though the culture keeps telling us your feelings are your truth, deep inside we need truth outside of ourselves. We need God's truth. Now this morning as we move forward in this series, and uh, Father of Lies, next week, by the way, we're going to look at one of the most famous conversations that Satan has with anyone in the Bible. It's with Jesus himself, so make sure you tune in for that. But this morning, we want to park on one simple fact of Scripture and one principle and truth that I want you to take hold of, and that's simply this, that even though the culture teaches you and teaches me that our truth, feelings, opinions, preferences, our truth is superior to God's truth, it's very clear that God's truth is always superior to our truth. God's truth is always superior to to our truth. God's truth always matters more than our feelings, opinions, and preferences. So we're going to take a walk through some passages of Scripture this morning. If you have your Bible, pull it out. The Scriptures will be on the screen as well, and you can see them at home online. Uh, We're going to walk through a couple at each point along the way, so you may just want to make note of those and come back to them later. Because this morning, I want you to look with me at three reasons, three reasons that God's truth is always superior to our truth. That is, God's truth is always superior to our feelings, our preferences, and our opinions. Three reasons. The first one is that God's truth is unchanging and eternal. God's truth is unchanging and eternal. Now, when I speak of God's truth, I'm talking about the Bible, the Word of God, where God's truth is preserved for us. And there we find the Bible itself verifying for us that God's truth is always unchanging and and eternal. That's one of the reasons we can rely on it. If you have your Bible, go back to your Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, or make a note of it, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking for God, and he's comparing the temporal nature of life on earth with the eternal truth of God, the unchanging eternal truth of God. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. And the prophet says, the grass withers, The flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. This this world will pass away, evidenced by the fact that you still have to mow the grass, and you still have to water the grass, and the flowers will die, and then they will come out again. It's spring in Brunswick County, and many of us are putting out the mulch, and we're cultivating the flowers, we're hanging new flowers outside, and we are back to mowing the grass, and sometimes even irrigating the grass. My neighbor and I were having a conversation the other day. He's new to our community, but he's lived in Brunswick County a while, and he was just asking me some questions over the fence, and he said, do you irrigate your yard during the summer? And I said, no. What I probably should have said is, yes, my irrigation system's called Bob with a garden hose. But, no, I don't have an irrigation system. And he said, well, I'm really thinking about that, and we, we have one, not sure how often use it, this kind of thing. Well, the conversation itself goes to the fact that if we don't, if, if the grass doesn't get water, either by nature or by us, and no rain comes for a long time, it's going to die. That grass will wither and the flowers will fade. It's part of the nature of our world. And that's a very simple truth that the Bible points out, but uses that truth to illustrate the contrast between the temporal world we live in and the eternal Word of God. The Word of God, the the, the passage literally says, stands forever. 
It stands forever. It's unchanging and eternal truth that you can absolutely count on all of your life. Now, Jesus puts an even finer point on this. If you jump to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Matthew chapter 24 in your New Testament and verse 35, Jesus is here. He's talking about history, the whole nature of history and God closing out history at the end of time. And he's teaching his disciples these truths about history. And this is what he says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now I want you to notice what he did just there. If you ever wonder if Jesus claimed to be God, compare this passage with what we just read in the book of Isaiah, and the answer is clearly yes. He says, my word is eternal. It will never pass away. Though history continues to move, and ultimately, even the heaven and earth that you and I know will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth, the words of God will never change. From the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation to the closing of history, God's word never changes. It's always eternal. God's truth never changes. God's promises never change. They're absolutely reliable all the time. That's because God's truth is God. As Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God's truth is him. So he always speaks from his nature, which is truth. And here Jesus lays claim to that truth, the Word of God, that never passes away. Even though history is a mess, even though your circumstances right now might be a mess, or tomorrow they might be wonderful, the one absolute you can count on is that God's truth is unchanging and it's eternal. So first of all, God's truth is always superior to our truth because it is unchanging and eternal. Now that might make you think of God's truth and His Word as kind of an out there somewhere inaccessible truth. That belongs to God, and, and I'm not sure how to access that. So watch what the Bible does for us. The, the second reason that God's truth is always superior to our truth is that it is living and powerful. It is living and powerful. God's truth is His agent of change in your life. And God uses His truth to change your mind and to change your heart. You have to digest it for that to happen, but it's actually living. Jesus says this Himself, John chapter 17 and verse 17. Jesus is praying for His disciples both then in the first century and now in the 21st century. His prayer applies to us today just as it did to those first disciples so long ago. And in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus says to the Father, as he's praying to his heavenly Father, he is God in human flesh, and he's praying to his heavenly Father, sanctify them, that is the disciples, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth, that is the word of God. Your word, my word, Jesus means, is truth. He doesn't say it's a truth. He doesn't say it's part of the truth. He doesn't say it contains the truth. He says it's truth in its entirety, everything God speaks, everything God says. And what Jesus is asking is that God would take his truth as an agent of change and sanctify believers. Now, the term sanctify means set them apart or make them holy. In other words, God's word, his truth, is the agent of change to make you more like Jesus Christ. 
It shows you sins you need to confess. It shows you problems in your life. God uses his word as an agent of change in your heart and in your mind. It's living truth and it's powerful when God uses it to bring about change in your life. Another passage helps us see this clearly. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Now notice first what Jesus has done. God uses this as an agent of change to make you more like Christ, to set you apart. He uses his word. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. One of the great statements in the Bible about the character of God's word, the very nature of God's truth. The Bible says, for the word of God is living and defective. Now, some passages, some versions might say active, but living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, there's a lot there to capture, so I just want to focus on one thing in particular. The nature, the character of God's Word, God uses as an agent of change. His unchanging, timeless, eternal Word, He uses it as an agent of change to reveal to you what must be judged in your life. He uses it, in other words, to judge your feelings, your thoughts, your opinions, and your preferences. See, sometimes your feelings line right up with the Word of God. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's okay to say, you know, I don't feel good about this if it's informed by what God's truth says. But if it's detached from God's truth, you have no idea why you don't feel about, good about it. And if you base your decisions and your lifestyle if you say your feelings and opinions, that's your truth. The Bible says God judges your truth by his truth. Because it's living and it's active, it's effective, and it pierces deeply into your very soul, as deep as your spirit. If you ingest and digest the word of God, he uses that as an agent of change in your life. And one of the things he will show you through that is whether or not your feelings, preferences, and opinions line up with his truth. And if they don't, you need to understand he judges your feelings, preferences, and opinions by his truth. Not by how it makes you feel. Not by what the culture says about your feelings and preferences and opinions. Just because your feelings and preferences line up with the movement of the day doesn't mean they line up with God's truth. And God does not judge our opinions by the culture or whether they make us feel good or whether it's part of the crowd that we're in. He judges it by his word, his truth. Because his truth is living and it's powerful. It's the agent of change in your life. Now the lesson there is very clear. If you want to see real change in your life, if you want to know God's truth and you want to see that working in your life, you need to be digesting his truth. In his word. You need to be digesting that. Let him shape you into the image of Christ. Let him shape your character, your thoughts, your ideas. Don't let those outside the Bible do that. Those in the world do that. Let God do that. Then he gives you insight into what's happening around you. He gives you insight into the preferences that you have in your own life as well as what the world says. And he reveals to you constantly and regularly that his truth is always superior to what the world says, to your feelings. You know, the big problem with basing our decisions on our feelings and basing our truth on our feelings is that feelings change, sometimes radically. I had a conversation last week with someone that was facing a, a real 
turning point in their lives. The first day we talked about it, that person was argumentative, over-the-top argumentative, wanting me to see their, their opinion, their perspective. So we talked a while about that. The next day we talked, same subject, same person, they were crying, upset about the same thing. Are your emotions, your opinions, your preferences a, a good barometer of how to make your decisions? No. Because what if you say, wow, and every, everybody's done this. Okay, let, let's be honest. Everybody's done this. We made a decision based on our emotions that now we look back on and think, boy, I wish I could take that back. The older you are, yes, the more likely you've done that once, twice, or more in a lifetime. You made a spur of the moment, maybe, emotional decision, never checking to see if your feelings lined up with the Word of God or you had not digested the Word of God enough for it to inform your feelings and inform your decision and for you to say, yes, this is the right thing to do based on the truth of God. Instead, you made that decision disconnected from God's truth, in touch with your feelings, and yet was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi was totally wrong when he told Luke, trust your feelings. Oprah Winfrey's wrong when she says, trust your feelings. Disney's wrong when they say, trust your feelings. No. Our feelings, our, our emotions are not necessarily trustworthy. No, God's truth is always trustworthy. You know how I see this in believers, Christians, in our generation especially. They go to God's Word, they read the Bible, they're in a Bible study, and they say, you'll hear it out loud, that's not how I feel. I've got a different opinion about that. And the next step is they reject the truth of God. Instead of digesting it, they reject it. Instead of investing in what God says is right, they say, no, that, that's not right for me. That's not what I believe. That's not what I think. That's not how I feel. Or you're in a Bible study with a bunch of believers, and, and this is how the Bible study goes. You read the scripture together, and somebody says, now how does that make you feel? How do you feel about that? Instead of, what is God saying? to you, and how would you apply that to change your life? God's truth is living and powerful. He judges our feelings, not the other way around. So the first reason God's truth is always superior to our truth, it's, the, it's unchanging and eternal. The second reason is it's living and it's powerful. And the third reason that God's truth is always superior to our truth is that it is practical and reliable. Notice how he went from God's truth being part of his nature to now God's truth comes inside. God, God uses it as an agent of change in our lives, and now we get to practice it and apply it to our lives. It goes all the way, and God facilitates that. God makes sure that we not only know what the truth is, not only digest that truth and invest ourselves in it, we know how to live by His truth. We learn how to make decisions by His truth, His unchanging and eternal truth. We're going to jump back to the Old Testament in just a moment. Make a note of it or look there with me. Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. A verse that has been included in Christian songs, a verse that's popular for us to memorize because it's a wonderful verse. 
that says, Your word, that is God's truth, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. God illuminates the right direction for us to go. God illuminates the right direction for us to go. And the psalmist embraces it, digests it, invests in it, because God shows him which direction to go. When he's got to make decisions, God shows him what that decision is. He knows God's word is practical and it's reliable all the time. Now back to the New Testament. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 22. James chapter 1 and verse 22. James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, if you just study God's word or hear God's word but don't practice it and don't rely on it, you may deceive yourself into thinking your truth is God's truth and, and, and not realize you're not practicing what God wants you to do. He goes on to say, verse 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Because he's not practicing God's truth. He's not applying it. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves it, uh, perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. The short of it is, you ingest God's word, then practice God's word. Ingest God's words and practice God's word. I love that James says it gives you freedom. It's not restrictive. Uh, The going conventional wisdom of the world and sadly of many folks in the church is that if I, if I go to God's truth and I practice that in my life, he's not going to let me do what I want to do. I'll tell you, do what he wants you to do, it's better. It sets you free. It liberates you to live for Christ and experience the profound work of God in your life. When James speaks of blessings, he's not necessarily talking about material goods. He's talking about that knowing that God's at work in your life and seeing God do things in your life. The greatest blessing for a believer in Christ is to know God and to know Him deeply. And to get to know His Word and apply it means that you get to see God work in your life. All the time. All the time. When you ask that question, what do I do? When sometimes you wonder, what should I do? And you feel confused and you feel worried and you, you're on the, the, the edge of saying, I need to trust my feelings. I, I need to, to go with my preferences. Back up just a minute and say, wait a minute. Is that really reliable? Can I trust my feelings? Have I been in God's truth? And am I doing what God says is the right thing to do right now? It's practical. It's reliable. It's unchanging. It's eternal. It transcends history in every respect. It's living and powerful, and God uses it to change your heart and change your life. It's his truth, and that's how he uses it. To say it's practical and reliable, you might wonder, well, how do I know how to take God's word And then apply that to my life. Apply that to my decision. How do I know when God's word is really speaking to my situation? In John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus answered that question. He was explaining to the disciples what was going to happen after he was crucified, rose from the grave, and then ascended to be with the Father. He said what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit of God, God himself in spirit, is going to come and he's going to live inside of you. Every believer in history 
Every person that's trusted Christ, everyone in this room and everyone online that's given their lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, houses himself inside of you, lives inside of you. And he said, the spirit of truth will come and lead you into all the truth. See, God wants you to know his truth. And not only know his truth, not only digest it, but also practice his truth. And if you wonder how to do that, the Spirit of God is there to help you do that. The Holy Spirit helps you do that. Just ask God, hey, can you help me apply this to my life? Ask God, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? Then go to his word, connect with him there, and let the Spirit of God teach you the truth. And yes, it's superior to your feelings and your opinions and your preferences at the moment. But that's God's truth. It's always reliable, always absolute. And you can trust it and trust God to give it to you. During the pandemic, the American Bible Society, which translates Bibles into languages all over the world and distributes Bibles all over the world, partnered with Harvard University to do a research study on how people were using the Bible during the pandemic and how it might impact them. Now, they had a few questions on, that, on the research that they did, a few uh, surveys they sent out. Uh, let me just tell you what a couple of them were. And what they were gauging was how people felt coming out of the pandemic and whether they had hope. You know, hope is an emotion, largely. And the Bible teaches us that our hope is in Christ for now and for eternity. And that's a good thing. Now think about this. If we separate ourselves from the Word of God, from the truth, and from a relationship with Christ, our hope is only a feeling. So if it comes and goes, we, we feel hopeless, then we feel hopeful, then we feel hopeless, then we feel hopeful. You see what I mean? So your hope has to be anchored to truth that never changes. So here was their question. They, they wanted to gauge how people felt and, and, and their hope coming out of the pandemic and, and what they were doing in relation to that. So they had a scale of 1 to 100, and they asked people to mark on that scale, 1 to 100, the frequency of their reading of the Bible during the pandemic. One being, what's a Bible? And 100 being, well, you guessed it, they never put it down. So most people were, would be somewhere in there. And they got answers everywhere from, well, I don't read the Bible. I picked it up a couple of times. I read it maybe every other month or so. I read it at, once a month at least. I'm reading the Bible two or three times a month. I'm reading the Bible once a week. And I'm reading the Bible several times a week. In fact, one of, the, one of the categories was multiple times a week. Who do you think felt the most hopeful coming out of the pandemic? You got it. The folks who answered, I'm reading the Bible multiple times a week, also said they felt hopeful coming out of the pandemic. Now, here's another one. They ask about church participation in person or online and how that impacted their sense of well-being and hope coming out of the pandemic. Far and away, there was a direct correlation, not only between reading the Bible, but attending and participating in church with people looking ahead and saying, it's going to get better. There was a direct correlation in their sense of wellness and well-being coming out of the pandemic. The insta-evangelists didn't provide that. They didn't provide that in their... In their quasi-religion and spirituality and social media posts trying to make people feel better about themselves, the Bible provided that. 
Fellowship with other believers provided that. Connecting in worship provided that. Why? It's very simple. Because God's truth says it will. Because God's truth says those things are true. When you're in His Word, in His truth, you will have hope in Him, not in your feelings or opinions or preferences, but in Him. When you're worshiping Him, it gives you perspective. It gives you hope. You remember who God is. When you're connected to His truth, you remember who God is, that God is in charge. So remember this today. It is a lie from Satan that your truth is superior to God's truth. It is the truth of God that his truth is always superior to our truth, our feelings, our preferences, our opinions. Our culture heralds feelings and preferences now. Stay with God's truth. And there you'll find your hope. There you'll find your strength. There you'll find your guidance and your lamp that lights the way. Believers in Christ, maybe you're in this room, maybe you're at home. And this morning, you know, you know you've trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to talk to you first. You know you've trusted Christ. Absolutely no question. Maybe it was in the past, maybe it was last week, but you know you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So my question to you this morning is, are you in God's truth? Or or are you letting your feelings dictate your choices and your decisions? Are you you getting up in the morning and, and, and saying, God's truth is superior to my truth. Or you're living your life knowing and believing God's truth is superior to my truth. And listen, do your actions illustrate that you believe God's truth is superior to your feelings, preferences, and opinions? Or, yes, I'm a believer in Christ. I can't tell you the last time I digested God's truth. I'm a believer in Christ, but my actions and habits and behaviors, if anybody asks, it's not that much different from the person down the street or the person in the news who says their feelings and preferences or opinions, that's the truth. So how are you doing? How are you doing? Do you need to recommit to digesting God's truth today? Do you need to ask God's forgiveness for putting your feelings and preferences ahead of God's truth, do you need to ask God's forgiveness for ever saying to yourself or someone else, hey, my truth matters, instead of saying what God's truth is. So believer, this may be a transition point for you. And I want to tell you, Satan's lying to you too. He's the one telling you that your feelings matter the most. Your preferences matter the most more than God's truth. So do you need to recommit to God's truth today? Now, for believers, but mostly for those of you online and in-house, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to pay attention to this. The lies of the world that, that cultivated by the enemy are things like this. You're not worthy. You're not worthy of, of, of my time. You're not worthy of this job. You're not worthy of this family. You're not worthy to be in my house. You're not worthy to be loved. God's truth is, you are worthy of my love because I made you. God's truth is, he created you in his image and he's always loved you. He just wants you to know it. Another lie of the culture cultivated by the enemy is that your outward appearance matters more than your personhood. Your outward, and be sure to judge other people by what they look like, by their race, by their economic status. 
by their performance. And if they're not performing in a way that justifies their existence, turn away from them because outward performance and appearance matters more than who they are. God's truth says your personhood matters more than your appearance. My love for you matters more than your performance and you do not have to perform to make me love you. God says, I love you anyway. That's God's truth. And if you've been listening to what the world says and you realize today that God loves you, I want you to know this. God loves you so much. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Then God raised Him from the grave. He died on the cross so you could be forgiven of your sins and you could come back into relationship with your God. He rose from the grave so you would have eternal life in that relationship with your God. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to offer you an opportunity to do that today. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer as I close this morning. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior in-house or online, I want you to, if this is your time, pray this prayer with me in your heart of hearts. It's not about the words. It's about putting your faith and trust completely in Christ to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and give you a relationship with your God. I'll pray that prayer in just a minute. And if that's your prayer today, pray that with me. Trust Christ, your God, as your Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for believers here in-house and online, Father, we realize today that we have relied more on our feelings than your truth. We, we've listened to the lies the enemy puts in the minds of the world. God, forgive us for that. And God, how I pray that you would turn our attention back to your word today. And Father, we, we pray... God, that today as we commit ourselves to your truth, we pray, God, you would help us to know that truth, to apply that truth to our lives today. God, how we pray you would forgive us. Forgive us, God, for putting our preferences above your truth. Forgive us, God, for coming to your truth and saying, that's not what I think, that's not how I feel. God, I pray instead we would digest your truth. You would use your truth, your word, to change us, to shape us, to more, make us more like Jesus Christ. And God, use your truth to show us the lies of the enemy all around us. And even when he tries to lie to us, show us that, God. So I pray with us, God. I pray with the believers today who would say today, I commit myself, I rededicate myself to the truth of God, to the Word of God, to investing myself in your truth, and to digesting that into my life. And Father, for those in this room and at home, God, that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, Father, I thank you that you turn our attention to your truth today. That we are saved by grace through faith. Not by our works, not our performance, not our skin color, not uh, our economic status. We are saved because of Christ and what you have done for us in Christ. And Father, I pray with those in-house or at home, Father, that would trust Christ for the very first time today and put their faith and trust in Christ. We pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've been counting on my truth to save me. And Jesus, I know now I cannot save myself. So Jesus, I believe in your truth. I believe you died on the cross for me to be, so I could be forgiven of my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive today. So Jesus, I ask you in faith, come into my heart, into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. I repent of my sins. Turn away from those. And starting today, I follow Christ and the truth of God in Jesus Christ. 
Father, for everyone who prayed either of those prayers, God, guide us, help us, strengthen us in those decisions. And I pray, Father, we would follow through in our decisions today. We would tell somebody of our decision today. We would send in a commitment card, the First Baptist Church or the church we regularly attend. But we would follow through with that, God, and take those steps of faith to ensure, Father, our commitment is solid and firm and we're moving forward in our walk with Christ. Father, I thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. I thank, thank you for the hope coming out of the pandemic, the hope during the pandemic, the hope we have anchored in the truth of God in Jesus Christ. And I pray for all of us, God, we will return to the hope we have in Christ. We know, God, you're in charge. You know the future. You know what comes next. We thank you and praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.